Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you again, Rachel, as always, and welcome back, everyone, to another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and with our listenership, I think, perhaps expanding a little bit beyond the EPC. I'm so grateful to all of you who have emailed into us, have called into us, have spoken to me at Presbyterian meetings and said, thank you for what you're doing with the podcast. We're listening it, we're sharing it. And uh, sometimes that gets shared out with people beyond the EPC, which is a real gift. So thank you for doing that. Uh, We are designing this podcast principally, our primary audience, not our only audience, but our primary audience is members, elders, deacons, staff of evangelical Presbyterian churches across the U.S. and the Caribbean uh, so they can learn more about the EPC. So we started off by introducing uh, a lot of our staff so people would know the amazing people in the Office of the General Assembly who serve the church. We have had different leaders come in at different times from different backgrounds. We've had EPC authors that have come in pastors. So a variety of things to try to introduce you to the life and ministry of the EPC. And today, we're going to be having a conversation with one of our outgoing members of the national leadership team, someone who has been on the NLT for six years. But his history in the EPC goes back uh, way before that. And we'll get into that by way of our introductions in just a second. So let me uh, press pause there for a moment and give you a brief commercial announcement for the upcoming General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We are meeting in And um, uh, the third week of June at Ward EPC Church in Northville, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. And if you've never been in Michigan, uh, as the tourism industry calls it, pure Michigan, if you've never been there in the end of June, it's just beautiful. It's a delightful time to be there. I encourage you to come not just because Ward Church is a great church. It's, It's actually in many ways our first church, a historic church, but it's a great environment. It's a great church, and we've got some great stuff going on at that General Assembly. Many of you know about our Leadership Institute, which happens on Tuesday and Wednesday leading into the Assembly. And a couple of things that I'm excited about, and I've highlighted some of them on other podcasts, but today I want to pull out two to bring to your attention because these things alone are worthy of your coming and joining us this summer. Uh, The first is a conversation back and forth between Andrew Brunson and Brad Strait. Brad is the lead pastor of Cherry Creek EPC Church in Denver, Colorado, and has been the moderator of our General Assembly. Brad and Andrew Brunson, and you may remember Andrew as an EPC pastor who was imprisoned for his faith in Turkey for a number of years and was the focal point of a lot of national attention, a modern-day living martyr in many respects. And Andrew has a word for the church. It's a profound word for the church. And he and Brad are going to moderate a discussion among uh, some Christians who have gone through persecution. And, and by that, I don't mean some kind of opposition or oppression, but, but, but persecution, the way the Bible talks about persecution. And it's interesting. Jesus, of course, says, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Not you may be, but you will be 
not a popular notion to be sure, but Andrew has um, a sweet spirit, gentle soul, a discerning spirit, and has a, uh, I think, really almost a prophetic word uh, for the church. And Brad and he are going to have that conversation. And I think you'll want to be in the sanctuary at Ward Church when Andrew Brunson and Brad Strait have that conversation because it will contextualize where the church in the West, in the U.S. in particular, finds itself during the next season. I also hope that you'll be there on Thursday night for uh, in the assembly proper, we have a commissioning service for our global workers. And the preacher that night is Marcelo Robles from La Misión Presbyterian Church in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Marcelo is an incredibly gifted, thoughtful, dynamic speaker. And I think he alone is worth the price of admission. So I think commissioning our global workers, hearing Marcelo preach, the great worship that we'll experience that night at Ward Church, which I believe on Thursday night will be assisted by Zach Hicks, who's the author of The Worship Pastor, an incredibly gifted worship leader, will be joining the Ward team that night. Uh, I think it's going to be a powerful evening. So whether it's a discussion like the one with Andrew and Brad or uh, Thursday night's worship service with Marcelo Robles, those are two of many great things to look forward to coming up at our General Assembly. So I hope you'll mark that on your calendar and get registered ASAP and uh, join us at Ward Church. Okay, so today our conversation is with Chris Denouchar. Chris is, um, full disclosure early on, we are longtime friends. He deserves credit, if for nothing else, other than hanging with me all these many years. Um, outside of my wife, I don't think too many people know me better and can call me to account for my nonsense better than he does. And so I'm deeply grateful. And I tell pastors all the time that everybody should have, every pastor should have one person in their life who can say the hard things, the deep truths into your life that you can hear without getting defensive. Because you know that person loves you and they would only ever say what they say out of love with your best interest in mind. And so you're not likely to get defensive from them, but you'll receive from them even the hardest things you have to hear. And Chris is that guy in my life. So if you have complaints about me, you can call Chris and he'll be sure to deliver that message so I actually hear it. But Chris is also an elder at Emanuel EPC Church and outside of Wheaton, Illinois, outside of the west suburb of Chicago, and is very involved in the early days of when a lot of the churches coming out of the new wineskins were migrating into the EPC in something called the Joint Commission. We'll ask him about what that was, what that history was, his experience. And now he's just concluding six years of service on our national leadership team. Today is, is, is about relationship, but it's also about some perspective. Um, he's been in the EPC a while. He's seen a few things. He's been in the trenches. And now on his way out, he's very thoughtful and reflective. He's um, stroking the hairs on his chin and smoking a pipe and doing other very thoughtful things, uh, which you can't see because this is all audio. So, Chris, uh, welcome to In All Things. Thank you, Dean. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great having you. So uh, take us back a little bit. You've been a member of Emmanuel EPC for a long time. And how did you get involved in denominational leadership from your involvement in a local congregation all those years back? We started attending Emmanuel in 99 when we got to uh, western suburbs of Chicago. Called it Elena's Church for the first six months because we were invited to attend by our 10-year-old neighbor, who was the first person I met on our street when we moved in. Excellent. Um, and she said, you should come to my church. And we did, and we haven't left. Yeah, and got involved uh, early on, just in the, the workings of the church um, as a member. Paul Heidebrecht, our dearly beloved departed brother, tapped me on the shoulder one, one Sunday afternoon, I think in 2000, said, you need to be an elder. 
For those of you who don't know, Paul Heiderbreck was the moderator of our General Assembly a number of years ago, and he becomes maybe the instrumental person on the EPC side in terms of returning the EPC to its first love and and the, the things that happened downstream in terms of all the churches that would come in years later. Those things wouldn't have happened unless Paul Heidebrecht is the moderator of the EPC. That's right. That's right. Uh, and uh, Paul encouraged me to um, sit and be ordained as an elder. Enjoyed that. I'm currently a resting elder, so still ordained, but not I active. could not picture you resting very much. <laughs> I, I, I rest differently than many people, yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, and uh, I've raised our three daughters, now uh, resilient young ladies, at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, my better half, Amy, uh, and I have been married 33 years, and um, yeah, we're, we're settled in the EPC and uh, enjoying its growth. So one of the things that you have done at Emmanuel, I know, is you're the, you're the tech nerd. Uh, you're, you're the guy uh, who's, who's fixing the sound system and trying to make sure the PowerPoint is working and all of that. Can you give everybody a little bit, because this is some of what you've brought to bear to the national leadership team, is your background and experience, both vocationally and avocationally. You, you, your background in consulting and your background in technology and how those things have kind of come together. Could you give us a little bit of your history in terms of those things? Yes, I spent uh, the majority of my career uh, working for, I like to say, especially if there are accountants listening, uh, five of the big four consulting accounting firms. Five of the big four, very right. nice. And it doesn't fit, and then they go nuts. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I started with Anderson, which no longer exists, and basically just took on progressively um, kind of bigger, hairier roles in technology, building software, building infrastructure, um, changing, um, modernizing, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of that is change management, team building, team leadership, and then there's tech in the middle. Took a jumped out of a perfectly good airplane uh, a few years ago, left that um, realm of work and said yes to a you know, interim CEO of a kind of visionary startup. Like most, ran out of money, didn't have a plan B, so went independent. Was doing some consulting there, uh, and in the middle of COVID, I got a text message from one of my target employers, and they said, "Hey, come join us and come do sales." And I said, "I've been working for over three decades. I've never sold in my life, but." said, good, you, you'll figure it out. And they so said, you, you talked Amy into marrying you. you yeah, that, that, sales. that was pretty good sales. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and so, yeah, I, I um, help companies now innovate, do uh, great things with technology. And uh, yeah, you're right. I've been kind of at the nexus of business problems, teams, and technology my entire professional career. So if you take that nexus, uh, uh, kind of a businesses, uh, teams, and technology, one of your sweet spots is you enjoy coming into a team that maybe isn't performing as well as it could or is underperforming and kind of helping it get unstuck and getting them to perform at a high capacity. That's one of your sweet spots, right? It is. It is. It's, it's, it's one of my energizing um, assignments. Okay. So let's leverage that <laughs> sweet spot yep. for God's assignment for you for six years on the national leadership team. Has has that skill set been something you've been able to bring to bear on on this group? I think so. I hope so. I remember early days joining the national leadership team. Jeff and others in their wisdom put me, it was either going to be finance committee or personnel committee. I remember they said, "Uh, Chris, we'll put you on personnel. And several people in the room kind of scratched their heads and said, wait, you're consultant technology, you should be on finance. I said, no, no, not at all. I mean, I can do finance if I have to, but I'm, all, I'm there for the people. Um, and so working on personnel, 
the changes that have gone on here, the transitions, the modernization, um, and the, and frankly, the how the team has grown in capability, but not in size, even as our denomination has grown. So right. getting teams to be high-performing, getting people to enjoy what they do, there's nothing better. And there's uh, a lot of that behind the scenes that people don't understand is going on to help the EPC kind of keep at work. And, of course, the job of the EPC, uh, the General Assembly, at least the Office of the General Assembly, is to serve the church. You know, we're, we, we're actually a fairly small office. I think we have 24 people. And what was it, uh, 2006, uh, when we were 187 churches, we had 24 people. There are different 24 people, and, and, and sometimes people have a perception that we're bigger than we are. had somebody in here the other day for a fraternal relations committee, and uh, I showed them down the hallway and walked around, and they said, this is a lot smaller than I thought it was. <laughs> and I said, well, maybe I shouldn't use words like global command center on the podcast. It's, it's really pretty modest. My staff at Memorial Park uh, was significantly larger than the staff that is here. And he said, the, the denomination's being really good stewards of our resources. Why don't people know this? And I said, well, then you need to tell them. So, so there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes where people like you come into the national leadership team and use the gifts that God has given you to help the organization move forward. And I think... A lot of that happens and people don't even know it, right? That's right. So give us your perspective on what you've seen because let's go back to even the, the, the transition time. There was, a, there was an interim transition team that helped with the EPC and the new wineskin churches kind of come together and then the NLT and the ways in which you serve. So what have you witnessed in the EPC over these years behind the scenes that would be good for our listeners to know and understand about the EPC? Uh, upon reflection, there's some things about the EPC that are almost identical to the way they were, you know, in the early 2000s when we started to get involved. Some of those are, are kind of the, you know, the, the ethos or the, the culture of the EPC mm-hmm. being uh, with our in, in essentials, unity, etc. but also just in our determined work when we gather in a governance perspective, whether it be Presbytery or General Assembly or, or other, you know, tall steeple pastor meeting, whatever, that we intend to love on each other. We intend to enjoy each other. We intend mm-hmm. to do the hard work and we worship. Um, and we spend as little time as possible in the administration. Very vital stuff. We got to make the right decisions, document it, follow the rules, etc. But that's not our main reason for gathering. We gather to build each other up and to build God's church. And that's been true in my only experience with church governance, I'm new to this here at the EPC. So I hear the stories of other um, experiences, and mine has just been here with the EPC. So I think we're, we're, we're essentially the same there. Obviously, numerically bigger with the number of churches, as we said. But the big change for me, I think, has been the EPC spends more time and energy looking out and moving out than inward. Mm. now that's an important that's an important observation could you unpack that a little bit more yeah let me try uh we're contemplative we're presbyterian we're reformed right so we we naturally as as a kind of personality or as a the way we see the world the way we process information etc i think by and large we're careful to be deliberate of what we do do things well high integrity etc so there's inward proper you know kind of facing that always goes on but I, the posture of leadership, the posture of our public communications, the topics we cover in general assemblies, the issues we choose to grapple with, I think have gotten more and more externally focused and outwardly 
aligned, if you will. Um, and we spend we spend a lot more time. I know for me, even in kind of leadership team meetings, really trying to make sure we understand the culture, we understand the you know the heart and mind of our our people in our churches and our pastors. That was always being done, but I think the predominance of conversation energy now is much more outward. And perhaps it's because we just figure out how to do the inward stuff a bit more efficiently and uh, you know more effectively. Our mission statement is that we would be doing the Great Commission um, as evangelical Presbyterian Reformed and missional congregations. And so you've touched on kind of the Reformed and the Presbyterian part, but the whole doing the Great Commission and being missional and being evangelical, and let's kind of tweak that a little bit and say evangelistic. Some of that outward focus, quite frankly, has to do with evangelism, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and it's one that I would say all of my f- eight previous churches struggle with, right? Because we have the good news. We have assurance in Christ. It's a given. We have so much good to say, and yet me included, we're slow to do so, or we're reticent or hesitant to do so. And so that half of our mission on evangelical and missional um, is the bit, the outward focus that I would continue to pray we, we grow in, that God moves us in strength and wisdom and winsomeness to be more like his body and like his, like his son. What are some of the potential obstacles out there for us or, or challenges that we're going to face as we continue that outward posture and, and trying to, to live out the gospel in the world in which we find ourselves? Where, what are some of the things that you think as you look down the road, and I know you can't be a future teller, but you know, as a leader, you look out and you say, these are the things that if we're going to be faithful in these kind of times, we're going to have to be able to deal squarely with this. What, what would some of those things be? Yeah, there's, there's some, some observations some of my friends have enlightened to me and some that I think I, I live more directly. The, the one that comes to mind, first one comes to mind is I got a good friend who's in kind of film and media. So I learn all sorts of interesting things because I know, you know, I just don't have that side of my brain. I'm not creative. And I enjoy our conversations. And one thing he, he wrestles with all the time is we're really in a post-biblically literate age. Mm. And any biblical literacy, which one could almost assume 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago, is not there. So we're starting from zero. In fact, we're starting from, from kind of a reaction against or a, a bias against anything scriptural or biblical. And, and if you're inward facing, which mm. uh, educated Presbyterian types can be, you still tend to use categories or language that mm. describes those things in ways that are familiar to you. But if we're going to be outward facing, then and it's a little uncomfortable for people to, to, to hear language that's unfamiliar to them because it feels like uh, maybe there's some kind of compromise or some sort of change going on when, in fact, you're trying to contextualize the unchanging gospel in a world that is just not the same as it used to be. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And, and, and yeah, all of our theological words and concepts, which are vital to the, you know, to the history and integrity of the church, they don't translate. Yeah, they just they don't mean something. So we have to, we have to make sure it, we do communicate well and the truth well. Yeah, we were just uh, hours ago wrapping up our national leadership team meeting, talking about our mission statement, our vision statement, and, and no desire to change those. Those are rock solid. The General Assembly's approved them. We're trying to live those things out. And yet we were looking for a one-sentence kind of way to communicate to a person on the street who has no church background whatsoever. Like if, if you're walking into a coffee shop and, and you, this person says to you, so... What is the EPC? 
one sentence explanation. Do you have a shot at that? Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about it and we've been talking about it here, both in our um, strategic planning and team meeting and then again in NLT. You know, I think some of the consensus of we love people and point them to Jesus or we love them and walk with Jesus or we love them and introduce them. Yeah, that, That's a big part of it. But there's 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 got to be kind of more context and I think more energy out um, somehow. So it's a tough one. Well, it's interesting that each one of your attempts at that started with loving people. Yes. Um, you think that's essential to start with that? I do. I do. I, I you know, I, and that's, I think, partly a big part what undergirds, I think, the ethos of the EPC that I've seen has been pretty steady. Right. Is we do disagree for sure. Sometimes we disagree pretty very, you know, very strongly, but it's not in a unloving sense um, in, in my experience. And that, yeah, it has to be there. Yeah. Speak the truth, yes, but it always has to be in love. In all things, charity. That's love. Right. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Right. So what are your hopes for the future? I mean, as you're going off, you've got to be a little uh, nostalgic uh, after all of these years of service. You know, not that the Lord is done with you yet by any <laughs> means, but still, it's your last national leadership team meeting, and you look to the future. What is your What is your greatest hope for the EPC? I want to give you one more observation. Oh, sure. I think there's one other kind of reality we're going to deal with in the EPC. Everyone's going to deal with it. And I, I, I saw this, uh, I'm in the habit of re- reading an MIT technology letter every week or two. It goes through a bunch of different categories in technology and uh, societal change and things. And there was a survey there, which literally almost dropped my jaw on the ground. It was, it was a representative sample of people from 10, 12, 15-year-olds up until those who are in the final season of life and kind of broke it down into 15-year increments and half generations, whatever. And the question that really jarred me, it said, when are you your most authentic self? Physically, when you're in person, in, in the presence of others, or when you're online or represented digitally? In which scenario, which, when, where are you most your authentic self? Mm. And people older than me um, was, as you probably guess, 85% physical versus 5% digital the percentages kind of ebbed and flowed or, or, or flowed down the younger generation the youngest generation being in the survey literally said it was like 58 percent to 39 percent i'm authentically myself online in a digital wow. representation i'm stunned by that it's a stunner what do we do with that what? i mean i i you know, I, you just drop a truth bomb on me like that, and my brain's going to be spinning for a week trying to figure out As what intended, that means. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think we do with that as a church? Well, I, I, I think, I think we both recognize and redeem it, um, but I think there's also a loss there. I mean, I, I'm more comfortable kind of online, and I was in um, Second Life, you know, 15 years ago, the early metaverse, and got some experience with that. So. I, I've dabbled in that, and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's ways it can prevent bias because now you're an icon. You're not showing your true skin tone or gender. Um, so there's, there's good things about it that can help you know, kind of overcome societal biases or, or, or negatives for people. But I don't think God ever intended, even though he's given us the means to do all this technology, for us to not be principally physical humans. Right, because, I mean, the, the very center of the gospel is the incarnation. Exactly. Right? So he, God became flesh and dwelled among us, and something that removes that feels to me, and I maybe it's because I'm an old guy or my default is, you know, 
the is the Bible or something. I don't know, but there's something inside of me that goes, "Oh my gosh, it's it's just it feels detached from reality," and leaves open this idea of an identity that has no moorings to it. Right. Because you can be whatever you want to be in the metaverse, right? And Which so, that's right, and it's. I mean, we've hear, we've hear that message for decades now. You know that you you are who you want to be, and you choose this, you choose that, you identify this and that, and the physical is there, but it can be kind of pushed aside or ignored. So and, yeah, it's, and, that's and, a big one. That's one we've got to wrestle with. And, well, and, and I don't even think the church is thinking in those categories. So, <laughs> all right. So you've blown our mind on two accounts here today. So, all right. So do you want to go to hopes yet? I do. Let's go to hopes. All right. You know, I hope for the EPC that um, we stay true to the, the, the real gift and, and blessing that God's given us in the way we were founded, the, the, the insight and wisdom of what we hold dear, the balance of kind of being precise yet being open and, and, and flexible and free. And that can be represented in a very kind of technologically or modern unaware situation, but we're all forced to deal with a much more technology immersive, and it may not just be metaverse, but it's just, you know, robots are everywhere and AIs everywhere. So I think social media, social media, I mean, yeah, there's just people who, you know, their brains are rewired because they've been looking at screens their entire life. And, and so we need to figure out how we keep our blessed core, but yet make it relevant and heard and, and winsome to those who are just perceiving us either antagonistically or irrelevantly. Without losing Without that losing which that is essence. absolutely foundational right. to all right. that we are and all that we believe. That's right. Yeah, that's right. There's the, the other one, I would just hope that our, I would say, preference, even strong preference, for making sure that people we gather regularly, whether it's an affinity group, whether it's a general assembly physically, yes, those who can't join physically but, but want to be there can do so remotely. I just hope we don't lose that congeniality that automatically comes when we see each other eye to eye. It's a lot easier to, to let that old person, that old man, that old woman come out, the unredeemed part of us come out when we're hiding behind a screen or a keyboard. But I think emphasizing that physical interaction has got to be part of our ongoing. Do you think we'll get back to that again? I do. I'm, 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 I'm hopeful. Um, it, it won't be, you know, I mean, the, the days of, you know, my early days of consulting, I was literally on a plane at 5 p.m. Sunday and I got home Friday night at midnight and my, my 36-hour weekend, right? And that was it. Those days of being physically in some office for five and a half days a week, every week, are gone. I think rightly so. But two or three days in the office or getting together intentionally to make sure that we're collaborating and we have a good, you know, in, intentional face-to-face relationship, always going to be necessary. I'll, I'll tell you very practically one of the reasons why that's important to me mm. is singing. I can't sing by myself. Oh, yeah. So when I have watched services online, I can appreciate the sermon, I can listen to the choir, I can right. uh, appreciate the announcements or whatever else is going on, but I can't sing. I mean, it, it's sitting there and watching, you know, on YouTube, and yeah. I, I don't sing with the congregation, I just, just watch. Mm. And when I'm in a sanctuary, I sing. And the thing I love is I like to sit closer to the front because I find people in the front sing louder. People in the back don't sing as loud. And so I like to sit closer to the front so that I can sing loudly and not hear myself. 
because hearing myself sing is not a pleasant experience. I'm a joyful noiser. I'll confess that. But there is something about just losing yourself and singing loudly the truths that transform us because uh, my friend Jeremy Casella says it takes truth from head to heart and that's where the transformation occurs. I have these great ideas up in my head, but once I sing them, there's something of affect that goes on as it moves from the, this, the cognitive in my head down to the affective in my heart, and it, and it, it begins to change me. You know, um, when, you, when you say, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingle down, did ever such sorrow and love meet? Uh, you know, you, you can't help but sing the wondrous cross or when I survey the wonderful cross and have it not change you, yes. have it not wreck you. Yes. And that, that undoing is God's doing and he does something. Like, I miss, I can't do that uh, in the metaverse. That's I right. can't do that uh, digitally. I have to be present yes. to sing. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I don't think maybe we appreciate the, the transformative value of what singing does in worship. And perhaps that might be something we could help convince people that, you know, you really need to be in the, in the, in the body uh, in yes. person in order to have that full effect. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I hadn't yeah. thought of it, but absolutely true. Any final things that you would want to say to those who are in the EPC who are listening to you because you're a, a guy who was sitting in the pews who said yes and you got involved uh, as an elder and then uh, the national church called and you said yes and you've served in a variety of capacities. Anything you would want to say to the person who's listening who's just an everyday member of the EPC who uh, can identify with you and that you have counsel or wisdom for them? I would say strongly that, um, you know, the talk about post-denominational society and no other reason to have churches talk, you know, work together other than to kind of transfer pastors or, you know, get together for community events. I, I think it's wrong. I think there's a, there's a real strength in the EPC that knit, that our churches are knit together in pres- pastors are knit together in presbytery that our general assembly informs and drives and, and really, determines how we move as a denomination, how God is moving within us. So if you're not aware of or active in and contributing to um, the life and body of your church leadership, presbytery activity, or even aware of General Assembly, you're missing out. Mm. Because the church is indeed Christ in you as an individual. It's you as you gather and worship in a small group or a church, but it's also as we gather in bigger groups. And the richness is different but it is rich. That's a great point. The richness is different. And you, it, once you've experienced it, you want people to experience that you richness. Do. You want them to have that. You do. Yeah. You do. You're missing out on part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Good word. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your service to the church. And it's been a delight to sit with you in this capacity today. Thanks. I'm very grateful. Thank you. All right. Well, my friends, that wraps it up for another edition of In All Things. We're just uh, so grateful that you have been with us today. We don't take that for granted. We realize that there's a lot of things you can do with your time and that you choose to take us along the walking trail or in the gym or in the car as you drive. We know that you have a lot of choices and that you chose to listen in today. I hope it was a blessing to you and encouragement uh, to you and that you might share it along with others. But as we always do, let us end with that good word that is from God's word from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. If you've been listening, you know it by now. Perhaps even you can say it along with me. (laughs) Well, the sun is the image of the invisible 
God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. That includes technology, right? Includes technology. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him, all things, all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. My friends, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty. But please remember, in all things, love. Grateful for your time with us today. On behalf of all of those who serve in the EPC, I wish grace and peace to you in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.